Jeff Ogilvy survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Gary Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He done it at last. Greg Norman. Stonehaven Cup. Leishman to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here it is. Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. Subscribe now on iTunes or your favourite podcast app or head to golf.org.au. G'day everybody, welcome to the show. It is Inside the Ropes, episode number 42, dedicated of course to Robert Walls. Uh, Matty Cutler, good afternoon to you, or good morning or good night. Whenever you happen to be listening to the show, lovely to see you, great man. Andy, thanks to... Thanks for having me. Alison Whitaker is here again. Hello, Al. Hello. Bit to talk about today. We haven't got Hazy or Stacey here today, but we'll be catching up with them because they're elsewhere in the world. One domestic, one international, with a couple of um, pretty important teams events to talk about. The Interstate Series here in Australia. Boys and girls in South Australia. They're both being contested mm-hmm. over there. Um, and Stacey Peters over in beautiful Thailand for the Queen Syracuse Cup. So we'll touch base with um, them to find out what those events are all about and what they actually um, what they mean to the competitors in the middle of them all. But, gee, there's a fair bit to get through in the opening segment before we do just touching base with key results around the world. And we've been banging on about hashtag golden era for quite some time, Hazy and I, trying to get as many people involved as we can. Clearly, we have no pulling power because not too many people are hashtagging, hashtagging tweets golden era uh, in conjunction with us. <laughs> but Jason Day, who is arguably the captain of the Golden Era team, did it brilliantly at the final stretches of Quail Hollow. When you want to see somebody step up to the mark and get a job done, didn't he rise to the occasion the last three holes there? I think I think it was a great week for Jason in the fact that his tempo looked stunning, but he, he wasn't actually hitting the ball spectacularly True. well. It looked amazing because of how he was actually swinging the ball, but uh, swinging the club, I should say. But he made a couple of really good shots at key moments, and I'm sure we'll touch on those, you know, as, as we go through his review, <laughs> in a way, <laughs> of his win. But it was it was lovely golf to watch. I think. Yeah, it was. I mean, how can you not talk about that shot on 17? And I think that shot shows how hard the course and that hole was playing. Mm. I mean, he. I hate to think how high he launched that thing in the air because Baker Finch, as it was in flight, said, well, this will land soft. And it didn't really. <laughs> did you think it was going to, like, the, the, the bounce of the ball that hit the hole, did you think the next pitch or that pitch was going to be the one where it stopped? I, I kind of thought, bounce, bounce. Oh, jeez, it's hit the hole. And I thought, well, the next one is where it's going to But you, you, the ball lost all its natural spin, obviously, yeah. once it hit the hole. So you didn't know what was going to happen if it didn't hit that. Yeah, I reckon he would have been chipping at least. Uh, what do you think, Al? I think, it, well, definitely chipping, you know, at, probably at best. It, it had some serious heat on it. I think it was 230 yards. Yeah, unbelievable. And the pin was in the back right. He went straight out, it, hit the pin, and it went down to about three feet um, under some pretty severe pressure at the time. He didn't have a, a, a great lead. I think he only had one or two shots maybe mm. at that point in time. I reckon one at that point. One, yeah. 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 And then he yeah. picked up the birdie yeah. there and then went to the final hole with two shots, I think. But um, one of the things that I that really stood out for me when I you know look back at his golf in particular was his bunker play. Mm. His bunker play mm. was second to none. I'm not sure if I've actually seen a bunker play 
you know, well, display like that within one week um, before. And, and, you know, granted his wedges weren't great, so he did actually have quite a few bunker shots, especially short left that seemed to be his, his main miss. But Was he seven from seven or eight from eight? Uh, he was definitely six from six. I can't remember where, what he did from there. From <laughs> I like I like six from six, seven from seven, or eight for eight. They all sound pretty good. That and his putting, it's no wonder he's winning. Well, that data they put up about his putting from ten feet oh. is just—it's ridiculous. I mean, it's in, it's an insanity that you can be as rock solid over the shot that seems to give most players, no matter how good you are, that is the shot that gives most players the heebie-jeebies because they're expected to make it. And we, yet he does. We talked about it in the office and we thought, well, if the average nine marker, single-figure marker, nine marker had Jason Day putt for them, they'd get down to scratch. Oh, no doubt. Absolutely no doubt. That's the, a really good point. Yeah. The, the, you talk about those, we talk about those last three holes and the shot he hit on 17 is the one that you know, might go down as you know, close to, well, we've seen two contenders for shot of the year in the last two weeks with Lydia Coe's three with the week before. And was it two weeks ago? Last week? Two weeks ago. Last week. Yep, last like, week. like last week, yes. not the one we're <laughs> yeah. talking about now. Uh, and then Jason Day shot on 17. They're absolutely stellar shots. But you, you're right in what you say, Al, that he wasn't hitting the ball great off the tee. And he sort of talked about that himself. And yet to get to 16 when we enter you know, the most difficult stretch of that golf course and to hit your drive on 16, 385 yards and then knock it pin high um, about 12 feet, 10 feet, make the putt, play the shot he played on, 17, make the putt, and then get up and down on 18, having flared it right. Obviously, with the water left, that's the natural kind of out. But to get up and down the way he did, he just is in... When he's in control like he was on those... It's a bit of the cold-blooded killer about Jason Day, sort of. And I was talking to a few blokes around here about the difference between Day and Scott, you know, the two great sort of contemporaries of the era that we've got. Scotty never, Scotty, I don't know whether Scotty's such a nice guy that he doesn't seem to have that about him, but when Day gets his sort of foot on the throat or something, he's very hard to dislodge. Um, and it sort of revealed itself down the stretch at Quail Hollow. I thought it was great that he could do what he did under the sort of pressure he was under. He just seemed, I think he really seemed to be in control of himself mm. and in control of his golf game. And it, and it sounds so much easier <laughs> to, to say it than it really is to do it under that kind of pressure. But in you know it was an, another point. I actually noticed that when he throttled back a little bit, when he kind of did that say eighty eighty five percent swing, they were his best shots. I couldn't agree with you more. In particular, off the tee, yep. there was a couple where he just looked like he swiped at them, and they went right and they went left. And then you know you could kind of tell that he was kind of chasing after those that little extra you know say fifteen yards off the tee. But when he when he throttled back and. It went all the way through his game as well, the way he was walking, the pace that he was um, taking to play each shot. Um, I just he was getting you know checks in all of the boxes from me. I agree. When he on eighteen, which is problematic, and he had you know the horrible advent, misadventure there a year ago during the PGA Championship. Was it a year ago? My years, my years are bad. When he went right and then tried to play ridiculous shots and completely made a hash of it. On the Friday, he hit two iron. On the Sunday, he hit two iron. And it was exactly the shot. You th- he still hits it 280 or something. Like, he still gets it out there far <laughs> enough. It's crazy. It, it just shows the greed, I guess, of, uh, of wanting to put yourself into the best position when we look at it and think, well, he doesn't need to. What does he need that extra 24? But spin rates and what he can do when the ball hits the green, and particularly on that type of green, 20 yards, 20 metres does make a difference. But I'd rather be safe first.
Yeah, and I guess if you've got, if you've not, if you know you've got three hundred and sixty in the bag with the driver, you feel like you're sort of robbing yourself a bit if you're leaving yourself eighty to ninety yards back on every yeah. fairway because you are playing within yourself as opposed to taking every yard, your natural game and the equipment's there to give you. So Al, that eighty to eighty-five percent shot, or that, it's almost like you said, it goes right through his game. Do you think he needs to bring that himself, or is that something that just naturally occurs when he's playing well? Um, I think the better players play, as a general rule, play uh, like they take off a little heat when they're in control of their swing. You, if you're nervous, you you want a full swing. You want a 100% shot because that is far easier to execute than an 80% shot. Like I always think if someone's playing well, when I'm you know commentating on, on tour or wherever it is, men's or women's, if someone's hitting good shots from that super awkward distance of 40 to say 60 yards, if they're hitting good shots there, that's my key check area because that means that their clubs are, you know, their clubs coming back in front of their hands in a neutral fashion. They'll have way more control over their spin all the way through their game. And so many players, and this is something that, you know, not a lot of players, people, you know, amateurs realize so many pros avoid that length. Um, They actively, will lay back at 90 yards to not have a 50-yard yardage into into a par five in particular. I remember Brittany Linsicum was in a, a pro-am a couple of years back and <laughs> the guys said to her, they all hit down and she's like, oh, you know, which which one do you guys want to take? And they said, oh, well, we'll take the closest one. She goes, no, 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 we're going back there. And everyone looked at her and they're like, it's 50-yard difference. And she says, if I if my caddy gives me that yardage, he's fired. So yeah. we're going back to 80 <laughs> yeah. just because, you know, that's the way that she plays her game. So, um, yeah, I, I just feel like those those 80 to 85% shots, it's easy to say. But under that kind of pressure, they're pretty hard to hit, in my opinion. Yeah, you hear them talk, you hear them talk that all the time, don't they? That, that becomes what's number we want, you know, when they're sort of thinking about laying up. And they don't do that very often, but... When they are, they're always thinking about the number that they're going to have left, and it's because of that exact reason that you talk about. Okay, before we move away from the PGA Tour players coming up next week, which we all look forward to, even though it's a bit overhyped, I reckon by the Yanks for what it's worth. Um, it's 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 <laughs> no arguments here. It's great. Um, it's uh, crystal ball time. He's thirty years old, right? He's thirty years old. He's, he's he seems to have himself touch wood physically in good shape. He's he's not doing the same gym regime. He's, he's spoken about that. He's doing golf um, workouts now. He's not doing strength and body workouts now. Whatever he's doing in the gym is to help with his golf movements, Jason Day. So let's assume that he's got that part of it under control and he's, he's grown up and he doesn't worry about how ripped he looks nowadays. He's more worried about how he plays. 30 years of age, the next five to 10 years should be if the body doesn't let him down, the salad days for him, what what does he do? When when we come back here in 10 years' time, the three of us, and we sit down and we're all a bit older, how many majors has Jason Day got in the bag? Or should he have in the bag? Well, it's they're not easy to win. They're not easy to starters. win. I mean, he's got one. He's 30. That's a good start. I mean, if he, over the next decade, say he plays 40, hopefully, somewhere between 30 and 40, if he can win a couple, I think two that'd be awesome. Yeah, if I reckon he had four L, is that, is that asking too much? Even with the depth of men's in the men's game at the moment, well, the, the tricky bit about the men's game is you don't know what's coming next. Mm. So it's easy for us to say that, but you know, I don't think five years ago we would have anticipated the the depth of young talent that's on the tour now. Um, in terms of you know, I mean, Jason, the sky is the limit. He's supremely talented. 
um, I still remember the first time I ever saw him hit a golf ball and it was at the Master of the Amateurs at Yarra Yarra and it would have been at least 15 years ago. And um, and ironically, my sister was working the event and she said, she's like, God, that guy's got a good swing. And she she's not a massive golfer, but she saw him and then kind of pointed him out. And I think he ended up winning that week, funny enough. But, he, you know, it, it's just whether uh, it's a question of whether or not the stars align for yeah, him and, yeah. and what the rest of the fields do each week. Because he, he wasn't really challenged on Sunday. He seemed to be in control for most of it. And he had a couple of, you know, a couple of players shooting up there, but... It wasn't a free-for-all on Sunday, and he just held it together. Um, so give me a number. Stop shirking the issue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I reckon he could easily win easily win two more majors. Yep. Um, four would be lovely. Okay. So we're in, the, <laughs> we're in the same vicinity. Some are shooting a bit higher than others, and you're taking the low road, which I'm disappointed. Always. Well, Otherwise, I wanted Thomas yeah. Peters to win the Masters after <laughs> I was right. in here, so softly, softly now. Um, weather, um, weather affected uh, tournament on the LPGA, nonetheless still spectacular. She's a bit of a supernova, the winner, and she did it with, with extreme brilliance, being able to chip in a couple of times. Um, Sung Hyun Park, we refer to. Um, tell us about how she did it, Al, and what we can, wh- where she is going to be. I mean, there's so many. The women's game's full of players peaking and then troughing and then peaking. They they don't go away, but they have these little moments where they come and go and they come and go again. What what can she do with her game? She she could genuinely be world number one for more than a year. <laughs> right, well, that's something. At the moment, yeah. is pretty hard to do, um, given the fact I think we've had five world number ones in the last 12 months. So um, she's bumped up back up to number four because of that win. But it really is a, a fight at the top in women's golf at the moment. I, I can't stress how, how competitive it is. But also, I think the variety of players that you're getting, and Sung Hyun Park is is in a category of her own in a lot of ways. She is a monster off the tee. The biggest? Do, do many she, hit it? If she if she hits it out of the middle, I'd be amazed if anyone hit it past her. Okay. The only person that might um, get close. I mean, there's a couple of girls that are renowned for being supremely long. Um, Lexi Thompson, one of them, she's up there. Um, Nicole Brock Larson's super long off the tee, but I think when she's hitting it well, Sung Hyun Park, she's, yeah, I mean, her ball, ball striking is flawless. She has a stunning golf swing. She looks like an assassin. Yeah, behind the she glasses. Looks, yeah. <laughs> behind the glasses. Extremely neat. <laughs> <She's>, <laughs> she is. Yeah. She's, a, she's a cold-hearted killer, that yeah, one. But, yeah. um, you know, she just played her own game and I think played really smart um, given all of the, the weather delays and everything. It is so hard and mentally draining to play in weather delays. You're just you're at the golf course the whole day, mm. most of the time, and you're waiting to get out there. And you're you're understanding that you have to. You might be ready to pull the trigger in an hour. It might be six hours, five hours. Girls had eight thirty p.m. tea times at one point in time this week, so she did really well. And and I have to admit, a special mention goes out to the girl that came second, Lindy Duncan. It's a name I'm not overly familiar with. It's yeah. a name I'm very familiar with because yeah, right. I was on the golf team with her in the U.S. Right, so okay. um, she was a freshman when I was a senior, and. Um, and she's a seriously good player, player of the year for NCAA, um, and just a, a supremely tidy golfer. But she birdied the last three holes to try and get in the playoff, and and under the pump. And she knew that they had to do that. And then Sung Hyun Park chipped in yeah. to end up winning. But it was a seriously good push from her. So Minji Lee again, good. Suo again, red figures yeah, after the game, two, which which is, which is good, isn't it? I mean, we we spent a lot of time talking about her in the last couple of episodes, but. 
Um, are you hearing through your networks that she's starting to settle into the new swing and um, the new kind of setup? And yeah, well, she got the new clubs, the which clubs, uh, yep. keeps reminding us. About. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> She's always said all the way along when we catch up and chat and Stace talks to her quite often that, that she's feeling good and things are going well. And, and I guess in the last couple of weeks that's, um, that's come out. So that's really good. Minji again, rock solid. Yep. I mean, it's a shame. You feel for the tournament organisers, like 12 months work goes into setting these things up and, and they get 36 holes in and weather delays and it's a bit of an anti-climax when some girls are finishing on the 9th and, and the 18th. And, and the tournament had some, some cracking moments. So uh, from that perspective it was a real shame but um yeah some really nice results good winner very very good winner we'll watch her with a great deal of interest um europe we again we're talking a, a lot about um golf not changing the way it gets played but certainly looking for variations in how to dress the occasional tournament up and the golf sixes format that we saw over in the uk uh, uh, nutshell stuff do you two did you two like conceptually what you saw? I loved it. Yeah. I think there's still some fine tuning to be done in terms of any initial, any inaugural event. You have to do that, especially when you're changing um, formats the way that they did with the match play being, so it's four ball, four, was it four ball? Four, or was it uh, four It was kind of greensomes. I'm trying to think. It was greensomes, that's yeah. it. Yeah. So, that's what it's called, right? So two, yeah. two tee shots Wikipedia after tee. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm getting my formats fixed up. Uh, but yeah, so two tee shots and then four foursomes in, alternate shot in from there. So once you pick the best one, presumably. Um, you but, hope so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But mm. I, I will admit I'm severely biased um, in terms of the fact that loving the women being involved this year, five Females teed it up, um, one in a mixed team, which was Katrina Matthew and Thomas Bjorn, the Ryder Cup and Solheim Cup captains. Just, I'm going to stop you there. How hard <laughs> is it watching Thomas Bjorn putt at the moment? Oh. It's a painful experience. Like It was almost, give us a warning when it's when it's Tommy's turn to putt because you just don't want to, you want to you look, away. look away. <laughs> you really need to look away. It's horrible to watch. It was tough. And, oh. I, and I actually, when I was tuning in, I saw it and I, and he, his putts went in when I was when watching. <laughs> so I can him. only imagine. <laughs> yeah, pushed it back on Sorry, I interrupt anyway, so keep going. No, but I mean, there, it was just, there was a lot of, there was a lot of hype, which I think is what you want um, in an event like that. We had two, uh, so two all-female teams. Mm. And I'm going to put a question to you lads. I'm trying to think of other sports where you'd see two women go up against two men. And... Someone someone threw out lawn bowls, but I haven't watched a lot of lawn bowls. So if any listeners are out there, can enlighten no, me about that. I, I don't want to be disrespectful no, no to lawn bowlers. No, I think no. golf's a little more dynamic. Yes. And True. requires a bit more yeah, yep. physical ability. It's a very good question you ask. Uh, I can't, off the top of my head, I can't think of any that I know of. That no, are in my and not be so competitive and win. Yeah. And I just thought the concept was fantastic. I just... Can you imagine the top dozen players in the world playing that? Men and women, more teams, throw an extra day in. It's funny, we talk about shortening the format, but two days wasn't really enough. I, didn't I think. agree with that. Yeah, yeah. And play it, like you said too, play it on a golf course that's got a bit more of a yeah. lineage and a history. Well, imagine and, if we know. knew the holes. Yeah, I mean, the, the weather was cracking and they played in London. Pick a course we know. Or mm. Imagine the old course finishing on 17, 18 there with... Um, 
with some alternate shot or foursomes. I think it's got massive potential. Um, and it has opened the conversation to amongst many that we'd like to see more of this, more um, man, men, women playing in the same event at the same time for the same prize. Uh, I think we're all, I don't know about you, Tom, I mean, I was, you know, I was hoping that um, Sam Brazel and um, uh, Wade Ormsby, Wayne Ormsby yeah. would, would win the thing. But if they didn't, I was barracking hard for one of the girls' teams to win it. I, I was I've never really... been more torn. I've got to be honest with you. I've never been more torn than watching them. I think they went up against the European women's team. So they it was did. Carlotta Segunda and Mel Reid, um, two, two girls that I've known for a very long time. And, and I have never, ever considered barracking against Australia. Yeah, the right. thought crossed my mind. It did fly out. But <laughs> I've got to admit I was reasonably, reasonably loyal still. But It's understandable. Because you sort of feel like you're not necessarily barracking for a gender. You're barracking for the game. And it's such a good concept. That is. And match play is the way to play it. Spot on. We've had women play in men's tournaments and vice versa. But match play is the way to see it Mm. compared perfectly. And and I know it was lovely, you know, the crowd and a bit of music and a bit of noise. And, you know, that, that was all great. I'd actually like to see this thing given some time to grow. And as much as I like uh, the relaxed nature of it all, keep the shot clocks by all means. But I'd like to see it more serious. Yeah. I'd like to see this thing become a really valued um, prize in world golf and not wait until the kind of quarterfinal, semifinals or the fourth or fifth hole of the six before people start seemingly sort of taking it seriously. Because I'm sure no one wants to hit a bad shot. They all want to win. But there was a, it was all pretty relaxed and laid back early. But I'd like to see it real and on from shot one day one. I think the funny thing about that is our our concept from the way that the TV coverage and the event was played out um, is very different to what the players were feeling because Eddie Pepperell actually said he'd rather miss every single cut for the rest of the year than lose to the women on day one. Yeah, right. And in the end, so um, he and Matt, Matt Wallace yeah. um, went up against Georgia Hall and Charlie Hull and Georgia ended up eagling the last, obviously with Charlie's help with the Greensums format, but made a a 20-foot putt on the last hole to halve the match. Um, Charlie hit her first tee shot. She hit it to three feet straight at the pin um, as everyone's cheering, and the boys ran off the tee. (laughs) They literally left the tee and had a bit of fun with it, which I actually really liked because they were so respectful um, throughout the week. And, And that was something I spoke to Georgia and Carlotta throughout the week, and they said that the guys were so welcoming, and every single one of them saw how positive it was. Mm. Um, part and parcel, probably, because they were the lowest-ranked team there. The best-ranked team was Georgia Hall and, and Charlie Hull in terms of world rankings, um, better than all of the guys. Mm. So the two female teams uh, both advanced to the quarterfinals, both got knocked out in the quarterfinals on the Saturday uh, on the Sunday, but they beat eight teams. Yeah, They beat eight all-men teams, uh, you know, all-male teams on Saturday to get there, which is pretty cool stuff. Oh, I'm barracking for it big time. And there'll there'll come a time very, very soon. If there is still this um, stigma, for want of a better word, you know, and I'm sure when Eddie Pepperell said that, he he wasn't being disrespectful to... No, he was being respectful. He was being (laughs) respectful. There'll be no stigma ever attached to a man getting beaten by a woman in a game of golf because they're 
There's no need to be. It's one of the only sports we can do it. Yeah, exactly. You're not, you're not going to put two fighters in the ring together, a male and a female fighter in the ring. Mm. So, the, you know, there's and 80 year olds can play against 20 year olds. Mm. It's such an accessible sport for the masses. So, further to that, and this is not to ask you to um, revisit every paragraph that was typed in the joust between you and Clates uh, on our <laughs> shared WhatsApp um, account during the week. It was all very interesting for the rest of us to sit back and watch this debate that you two had going back and forth. But there was something that emerged from it at the very end. That's when Stace sort of got involved in it. And it was about the tees that particularly amateur players in high-level pennant golf should be playing off. And just what that does to the caliber of player that is being um, developed at that level of the game of golf. And it was a really interesting, uh, there were multiple endpoints that you arrived at, but it was a really interesting point that the conversation between the three of you, by and large, uh, found itself arriving at. And I wonder whether you might be in a position to sort of bring everybody <laughs> else into it now that I've set it up. Well, we were just having a discussion. You know, obviously, um, Mike Clayton is a man that I hugely respect mm. and, and had a, have had a, a lot, quite a lot to do with throughout my um, my own golf. But, we were kind of going a little head-to-head respect, respectfully about what kind of clubs should be hit into the greens. And he was saying, um, I think he was actually responding to uh, a podcast on which his favourite person on the planet, Brandel Chambly, uh, said that women's golf courses should be shortened. And Clates severely and fiercely disagreed with that, saying, no, they're hitting driver wedge all the time. And I'm sitting in my chair going, no, no, we're, we're really not. That's not actually accurate. And and in his defence, Mike Clayton's caddied for, for Suo and, mm. and a number of female players, um, but the majority of that has been in Australia and he hasn't actually caddied in, in Asia a lot or on the tour um, in Europe. And so we were, you know, kind of launched off into a discussion about grass and how much run you got and the fact that, you know, a 60... 6,600-yard golf course in Australia actually plays a lot less. Because that's what we do, folks. That, yeah. That's what we do. <laughs> it's the sort of stuff, you know. Oh, it's fierce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, think, I don't think I'm getting a Christmas card anymore. But essentially, <laughs> um, you know, and I was having a chat with him about it, and I went to some of the players, and I just asked genuinely, because it could have changed. I haven't been on tour for, you know, three years now. Um, what's the average club you hit in? And the, the general consensus was a 7-iron, um, longer on the path race. And... It wasn't a wedge. Uh, that's the information that came back to me. And then, you know, obviously we went head to head about different tours around the world and so forth. But one of the interesting things that did come from it was um, I spoke to Dean Hurden, who is Jin Young Ko's caddy, um, who was on the KLPGA and is now uh, on the LPGA. She won the Australian Open this year. Um, and I said to him, what are the lengths like in Korea? And he said they're actually shorter than the LPGA. And then you're looking at it and you're like, okay, so how does that translate when they're hitting two clubs longer? Mm. And he said they are so comfortable being low, low, low under par that it doesn't phase them as much. Because when you when you play off the men's, like I, I grew up and I'd play off the men's all the time, that when I got to a female event that was a short yardage and I found myself being five or six under par, I wasn't comfortable there. And so it's kind of like finding that balance between actually the mental side of preparing yourself um, to be in contention for an event and being okay shooting a really low score, not feeling like you've already spent all of your birdies for the day, mm. and then finding a competitive score for each event in terms of course length. So um, we could argue into the ground. but It's funny you say that, Al. We've had this discussion with the Korean Golf Association, and obviously 
pick their brains as much as we can when it comes to to female golf talent and they don't set their courses up very long at an amateur perspective because they love their girls to be able to go 20 under okay and get that feeling that i'm eight under through 14 and not get scared think i'll shoot 10 i'll shoot 12 um they don't do it all the time but they love that sort of feel of the girls being able to go well let's just go as low as we can so it doesn't freak them out if they get pushed back in the tee box like if if they're suddenly having to hit the ball not off the i think i saw someone refer to it in the conversation as a like the granny tees (laughs) if they are actually being pushed you know back in the tee box away from the ladies tees that doesn't challenge that doesn't sort of get in the head, the head of these young amateurs? No, I think by the time they get there, they're good enough, they're good to, enough to deal yeah. with it and they're not afraid of a score. And, yeah. and what you say about Australian setups, I think I think we'd all agree that we set our courses up pretty short compared to the run, um, based on the amount of run we can get on our courses. And it has a, a double negative in that our courses aren't the type of courses you can go super low at, some of our tougher courses, yet we're playing them short anyway. So Let's let's do one or the other or both, but not neither. Mm. It's it's a real conundrum. I you know I grew up playing golf at, at Victoria Golf Club, and while I was playing, I actually thought, and you know what a privilege to do so, but I actually started thinking about playing on other golf courses that were much easier, so that I was more comfortable under par. Because, you know, even you know towards my my the be- the better parts of my you know golfing career, I was shooting under par at Vic, but it was like. 68, 67. Um, I think my lowest round around Vic was 65, but it was never, you know, it's just, it's just such, hmm. it's, well, I can't, can't remember. It's up on the wall, I think, maybe, <laughs> if, if one of the 800 juniors there haven't, <laughs> haven't knocked it off already. <laughs> but, you know, it's just one of those things where you kind of, you, you challenge because is your skill being tested mm, or is your mm. mental side? No, it's a good thing to do. Uh, we're going to break out of the way here. We're going to find out uh, what's going on uh, in a couple of very significant teams events on the other side of the break. Listening to Inside the Ropes. Hi, this is Sherelle McMahon. Swing Fit is the fun, healthy, social way for women to get started in golf. You'll learn the basics of the golf swing and how to putt over a six-week program and get your whole body moving through yoga and Pilates-style exercises. You don't need any golf knowledge or equipment. Simply turn up in comfy clothing and get started. You'll be surrounded by like-minded people and receive constant support. So get outdoors, meet new friends and learn a sport that you can play for the rest of your life. To find a program near you, visit swingfit.com.au. Peter Senior here. Really enjoy listening inside the ropes. Guys have always got something very interesting to talk about. Hope you enjoyed the program. Welcome back to the show. Um, This week is a very big week for junior golf in Australia, so much so that Mark Hayes is not in the studio with us. He is at the uh, Australian men's and women's interstate teams matches, the the interstate series, which is underway over in Adelaide. The men are playing at the Grange and the women at Glenelg. I don't know whether they're playing the entire time there, Hazy, or they're chopping and changing courses, but that's why we've got you on, so you can tell us all about it. How are you, mate? Very good, Murray, and g'day to Maddie and Ali. Um, I'm, I'm loving the Interstate Series. It's absolutely one of my favourite weeks for the year. A uh, great chance to see golf in a different format, the um, team match play, which I love both aspects of the of the competition, and to go through the next generation of kids, men and women, is just absolutely fantastic. So how many, uh, for those who don't understand what the series is all about, um, just give us a kind of snapshot of, of what, what it is that these teams are competing for. So in the women's, all six states play. They play uh, best of five in uh, knockout. 
uh, sorry, head-to-head in a team format during the round-robin phase. And the best two teams advance to the final and all six team members play in the final. And the, the team that qualified first only has to get three points up out of the six in the final to win. And the exact same in the men's, except there's two more players on each team. So it's head-to-head for seven uh, in the round-robin and then eight in the final um, and it, it's very simple. It's exactly like pennant mostly is around Australia. So it's just one of those great team formats and, uh, and all the guys and girls come together. They absolutely love playing with each other and they, when they finish their match, they run to a mate's bag and caddy for them for the remaining holes. It's just one of those really good feel-good tournaments. I have to say, Hazy, when I, you know, looking back on my golf, it's still a highlight for me playing the Interstate Series. Um, and, and it's a massive week. You don't play as much golf... Um, in pro in in pro or amateur days than you do that one week because I think what is it two practice one or two practice rounds and then potentially ten rounds of golf in five yeah, days. The, the, the men's play uh, an extra day because they have the Northern Territory in and the bye, so they play. Uh, so what's that? They play six different rounds over three and a half days to qualify for the final, and then a, a seventh one in the final. So. That, and that doesn't include the, the practice rounds they play early and some have played two and three. So you're right, it could be up to 10. And uh, look, some of them are, I think the Northern, to be honest, let's be honest here, the Northern Territory boys who don't really get to see that much golf normally, they, they are starting to push it uphill uh, late on the afternoon, the beach afternoon. But the, some of the young kids just lap it up and they, they go and play a 12th or a 14th round, I reckon, because uh, you know, they just see this as one of the great weeks of their life. Min Woo Lee is the best example, and we keep talking about him here, but he forewent a couple of opportunities to play professional events in Asia around this time so he could focus on this series for WA. That's what it meant to him. Uh, he was absolutely enamoured by Matt Cutler's second favourite event, the Benelic Trophy, uh, <laughs> and, and the, the team format where Matt's just a guru in Asia. Uh, he loved that team event so much, and he wanted desperately for WA to win this event this week. So he, he's here... Uh, you know, probably at the expense of something that would have been more beneficial for him as an individual, but that's what it means to him to to represent his state. So it's Tuesday afternoon when we're recording the pod and the show this week. So we don't need kind of live, we won't be asking you for live scores, but I imagine we've been spending a lot of time since we started doing Inside the Ropes Hazy, kind of talking about this amazingly rich period of, um, you know, junior golf out of the West. Are they going to be the team to beat as, as we sit here at, recording it now? Are they, are they the ones that the other ones are looking at? Well, it's, it's fascinating. The women's competition, uh, which is exclusively at Glenelg this week, uh, you could throw a blanket over three or four of them in the, in the prediction stage. Um, this morning in the first round, um, WA was actually beaten by Queensland, which was a bit of a surprise to me, uh, given that Becky Kay, the number one player for Queensland, is playing over there in Thailand. Um, but it's a really even competition on the women's. Any one of probably four states could actually win, depending on what happens. The men's, I had WA as a slight favourite, but since I've got to Adelaide, I've been smashed from pillar to post by the Queenslanders, who reckon they've got the chocolates. But um, this morning, both teams had uh, halves in their first match, and it really throws for the rest of the week the whole ladder up in the air because there'll be half matches to consider. Uh, it'll leave the, the the final two teams, the verdict on that, right down to the wire on Friday morning, I'd imagine. Hazy, I think you're uh, you're spot on with your selection of Queensland to be the one to beat in the men's. And the women's, I was asked today, and there are three or four teams that you just can't split, and they are very, very even. I think the calibre of player is uh, is something worth noting. The Queensland team has three of the four 
Namura Cup representatives from a men's perspective as their top three. And I think, uh, as you alluded to this morning, things didn't go quite as planned for them. So match play is just a great, uh, a great test for everyone. But uh, the golf courses I'm interested in as well. The Grange we know through the uh, Women's Australian Open rated, but Glenelg is uh, is an unknown and underrated golf course, I think, uh, outside of South Australia. What are your thoughts on that golf club? I was absolutely taken away by my first look this morning in the women's first round matches, and I thought it was absolutely spectacular. It hasn't got the expanse of uh, land available to it at the grain plans and, and I'm, caught, I'm speaking to you from the middle of the grains. You, you, you could dead set land jumbo jets out here and that's not <laughs> the case at the, at uh, Glenelg but as far as it's a little another sand belt gem uh, you know Adelaide's little sand belt here it's it's tucked away you wouldn't even know it was there as you drove past the airport um, but it's got a lot of holes with a lot of character um, it's beautifully bunkered some great revetted bunkers and look it's uh, it's a it's a joy to walk around, I imagine it's really fun to play um, from a, to- a big tournament perspective. Um, as much as it's got everything else ticked, it just hasn't got the space to host something like a Women's Australian Open, for example. Because I don't think logistically you could you could put the footprint of the tournament on there. But everything other than that points to it being a fantastic course. You mentioned Minwoo Lee. Tell us about the the broader kind of calibre of golf that you've been watching today, and you're likely to see for the next couple of days. I just finished watching just now uh, a young guy uh, from from South Australia. Please, Matty, you might be able to help me here. Jack Buchanan. Yep. Uh, from Glenelg. He's 16 years old, the new club champion at Glenelg. I just finished watching him win his first match ever in the senior level, batting at number seven for South Australia. And, you know, he's chuffed a couple under the card for his 17 holes that he played. And that's an indicator at number seven for a 16-year-old that he's actually a couple under in, the, in his first crack at this senior level. Matt would attest to this. By the time you get up and see Minwoo Lee playing David Nicoluzzi, uh, like that, the number number ones are absolutely monumental in their clashes, and there's a lot at stake at the women's, but particularly at the men's. Um, They they know who the the star is on the other side, and they gun for each other. Uh, It's true in the women's also, but particularly in the men's. And uh, we've got four or five guys really high up in the world rankings. And when it gets to the top of the batting order, like if you're a couple under at number seven, you can only imagine what the scores are a bit higher up, Andy. Are they all juniors, Hazy? I mean, pardon my ignorance, but are we all the names we're mentioning here are, you know, sort of under 23s. Is that kind of what this, what this event has become? Uh, this is a bit of everything, Andy. It's uh for some states, it's a developmental thing. And for the, I absolutely wholeheartedly congratulate Golf Tasmania for picking a team that's full of young, promising talent for the girls here. They've, they've really churned out a team that could be something together in three or four years. Uh, the youngest is actually 13 years of age, which is phenomenal. Uh, and it, rise, it goes right up. Um, and they're a ripping bunch of blokes, so don't get me wrong, but the Northern Territory hasn't picked a developmental team because there's one guy in his 20s and most of them in their 30s and there's a couple in their 40s so um, it has a full spectrum from 13 up to 46 I believe is the oldest player in the NT men's team but the I guess if I could use elite in inverted commas players all tend to be between sort of 18 and 21 22 so uh, I guess the oldest one of those Matt might be Zach Murray um, Certainly, the most one of the most experienced, but it is just elite at that top sort of one to three places in the, in both men's and women's golf at this event. It's just great to watch. 
Uh, this, could, this could, Andy, be if you were to watch the final, and it was, let's just say it was Western Australia versus Queensland, and we watched Shea Wolves, Cobb, and Min Woodley in the final, that could be easily a semi final of the US Amateur this year, later on in the year. Yeah, so yeah. that's what we're talking about here in standards. Al, why did you like it so much? You when you were talking to Hazy earlier, what was it about this event? Uh, I think that just the whole team factor, but it is. There's something special about the Interstate Series. It, it's a real achievement to be on a team yeah, and bet, to be yeah. picked for a team. And, and you know, Stace and I both played at a national level. We actually played on the World Cup team together. Um, and I look back at that, and that was nice. But this is in Australia. You know, this is – it's there's something – I just think it really holds it quite a special place in, in a golfer's career. Do you and, think, Al, it's because you know your opposition? When you represent Australia, which you did, you know of a handful of people you're playing against, but – this week, it's it's personal. It's not personal, but it's but personal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know yeah. And, and there's bragging rights. Do you think that might have something to do with it? Oh, definitely. And that's what makes it even harder at the same time. So, you know, you walk away with an interstate series and, and it's something that, you know, I, I think that every player would want to put on their wall. But also, it doesn't go off rankings. And, you know, when I was on the team, I was an 18-year-old. I was the captain. But there was 25 and 30-year-olds on the team. And so just that whole dynamic of mixing up, you know, the, all of the ages, I think, is really special. It's, it's a little bit less so because golf's becoming um, substantially younger, as Hazy's just pointed out, with a 13-year-old coming out of Tassie. But essentially, yeah, I just think it, there's something magical about it. Ali, I'd, I'd, it wouldn't be me to go through a week of Inside the Ropes without saying something controversial, so I don't want to let this opportunity <laughs> slide. Um, this week... As you, if you, I don't, I'm not sure if you've crossed to to stay up in Thailand or not, but Queen Sirica Cup unfortunately clashes with this event, which I think is a tremendous pity. It's a second year in a row, and you know we've got a lot of problems on the the professional calendar, um, scheduling the events in the right order later in summer. This is a huge thing, I reckon, we need to address because we need to get the top three women, Maddie, here. Don't you believe? I, I, I'm interested in both of your thoughts because. Um, the top women are again world class and we're missing our best three players and it sort of seems to diminish a bit from the women's side of the tournament. Well, Hazy, the other thing that's on this week is the NCAA women's mm. regionals. So we've got a handful, probably six, seven, eight Australian women playing in those as well. So you've got uh, three key events all on at the same time that are, uh, are diluting the talent in all of them. Could we address that in some way? Because it seems to me like it's a resolvable problem. Doesn't seem insurmountable, does it? <laughs> We're all sitting here looking at one another going, surely someone's got... Uh, but that does not seem insurmountable. I mean, when you're talking about kind of elite uh, developmental um, events that are going to be beneficial to everybody, um, surely you can you can find their own special, unique place on the calendar. Yeah, well, to, to start with, you know, Matt mentioned the NCAAs is the college system in the US. Mm. You can't have it in May. No coach is going to release a player to play a tournament overseas in May. Okay. Because the regionals that Maddie said, that's the second most important event of the year behind nationals. And if the girls are over there playing and they're playing world-class events, they're going to be playing regionals and nationals. Okay. So, you know, very yeah. few of them are going to miss out on those. Yeah, yeah. The but positive we'll is we've got the hosting rights for the Queen Circuit Cup next year in Australia. That'll, that'll be in Adelaide. So uh, I assume that's known. Anyway. <laughs> it is now. Uh, <laughs> Daisy, help me. Um, there won't be a clash, obviously. Yeah, and look, I'd imagine, I don't know who your um, your peers are exactly were, Ali, but let's just say it was Lindsay Wright when you are playing New South Wales, for example, you wanted, you would have wanted to play the top player. I'm assuming, I'm assuming it goes without saying. 
Oh, definitely. And it was, but it was such a big honour to be number one for your state. Um, that was almost what you fought for even more to say that you know, yeah, I'm Vic, uh, I'm number one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And every now and then, um, every now and then you'd you'd mix up the order as well. You'd put your stronger players down, like you know, any kind of team match play. You, you'd jumble it up, but everybody knew. <laughs> Everyone knew who the big dog was, and <laughs> and uh, and you know what? It's yeah, it is just such an achievement for all of the players there in Glenelg this week to be there. Hazy, you're a lucky man to be on the ground, um, uh, watching them, and uh, you know, telling us. Their stories, which you're doing a fantastic job, golf.org.au, if you want to um, stay across the individuals and get to know them a little bit better. And uh, the one-man operation that Mark Hayes is uh, over there will keep you up to date with everything you need to know. Mate, thanks for your time. Again, uh, we'll see you back in the studio next week. Thanks, guys. Have a good show. Yeah, you too. Uh, over there. Mark Hayes joining us from the Interstate Series over in South Australia. She's having a bit of trouble getting through to Stacey. I don't know whether anyone else has reached out, but she's over at Queen Syrica. We did want to cross over to her as well. but um, We've all simultaneously yeah. picked up our phones to message the same person. <laughs> there you go. So if we get her before we have to wrap it up, we will. Uh, otherwise, we'll get a quick break out of the way, come back to wrap up the show on the other side of this. Hi, I'm Minji Lee, and I'm proud to be an ambassador for MyGolf, Australian Golf's National Junior Program. One of my favourite things about coming back to Australia is seeing all the kids getting into golf. My golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about fun and friendship, learning golf and life skills in a safe and healthy environment. So, if your child is between 5 and 12 years old, be sure to find a program near you at mygolf.org.au. G'day, I'm Greg Chalmers. I'm a long way from home here in Dallas, Texas, but I love catching up with all the Aussie golf news on Inside the Rug. Welcome back to the show. Just some uh, regulation housekeeping before we uh, whack in the final bits and pieces before we wrap it up. We have had trouble getting through to Stacey Peters. She's going to be on the show next week, so we'll get a full wrap of what happened at uh, Queen Syracuse when she joins us next week. Um, we're also removing, we're changing our record time, so if you've got into a bit of a routine of downloading the podcast yourself, you're probably going to get it a bit earlier, moving the record times to Tuesday afternoons as opposed to Wednesday mornings. But the easy thing to do is just subscribe. <laughs> just subscribe and let the thing deliver itself to you. Um, we put out the call last week, shamelessly, that we were within reach of 100 five-star reviews. We only needed a handful uh, more. Well, we got them. We're up to 100 five-star reviews now, which is uh, ridiculous. And we love everybody who's done it. So uh, Pingman... Uh, and everybody else who uh, answered our call during the week, we thank you enormously. Um, and don't forget, if you are listening to the show, uh, you can subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Spotify, put the teeth back in, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Um, general business before we wrap it up. I'm going to ask you two a question, and it's because of Bernard Langer. Uh, wins the Woodland, whatever it was called, another $2 million old man event over in America. <laughs> in Sperity. And, of course, you know very, very well. Yes, the Woodlands, uh, the TPC there. We have our high-performance national camp there every year, and it's it's not an easy golf course. So he's had his troubles right throughout his career, particularly, by and large, with his short game on the way through, and he's tried a whole lot of different things. And he's always prevailed. He continues to prevail, and he wins his 37th or 38th tournament on the Champions Tour trails Harlu and by about seven or eight now and who's to say that even he, now that he's into his 60s Langer he won't get there. Watching him in the final round um, he flubbed a chip and he's had the chipping yips throughout variously um, throughout his career and had trouble putting as well that's why he's gone to that long thing that he's still you know 
persist with. But he, he flubbed a chip from just off the edge of a green uh, halfway through his final round. And it was one of those ones that I imagine for a pro it's a worse and gets in the head and you think you're going to miss it every single time thereafter. Well, he got to 18 and he flew the green and he had a tough little chip from the back edge. He had to get up and down to make four up to win by the shot. And there were a whole lot of players, about three or four guys, one shot back, who were circling. Well, he just stood over it and he kind of just knew he was going to make it. Knocked it to about three feet. And then the three or four footers, which he's had trouble with in the past, he just knocked it in. I've never seen in my time watching golf, I've never seen a guy challenged as often as Bernard Lang has been by the mental demons that can inhabit the brain of you people who played at a high level. I'm looking at you, <laughs> Alison Whitaker, and prevail, overcome. And he has done it his whole life and he continues to do it. He is a winner um, and a terrific ornament for the game, keeps himself in unbelievable physical condition, is as competitive now as he's ever been. Um, he's a remarkable player, Langer, and he continues to be. The, the important thing that you said is that he keeps knocking it to three feet because I, I think he's inside the top three in driving accuracy and greens in regulation. So mm. that's why he's doing it. But, you know, the the plague that comes with that, you know, it's kind of like the the yin and yang of, of golf is that often the players that hit the, mo- the most greens in regulation feel like they're worse putters than everybody else. Because they have to putt so often. Because they have to putt mm. for birdies. <laughs> they miss way more than everybody yeah, that's else. A good point. And so, you know, and you see that in, all throughout the men's game and the women's game as well. And, uh, you know, we've talked about Minji um, in the past about that because she's an incredible ball striker and she gives herself so many chances. But, you know, it's hard to stay patient. He is an incredibly annoying player to play against, mm. I would presume. Well, he's a, for that reason. He's a mentally toughest. I think I asked you to clutch, but it, I actually used the wrong terminology. The most, the mentally toughest player I've ever seen is Bernard Langer. Is there someone in either the men's or the women's game that you can think of who rightfully should be challenging Langer for the Inside the Ropes episode 42 title of the most mentally tough player <laughs> in the history of the game? Um, uh, my number one, I've got two. My number one goes to Inby Park. Yeah. Um, she... You expect her to make it. You just, you genuinely expect her to make putts. And she, you know, even when she was having, she had, you know, driver yips um, halfway through last year. Not a lot of people realized it because mm. her stats went down all of 5%. But, <laughs> but, but genuinely, you know, she was struggling with her game mid last year and, uh, and she's come back firing this year's world number one again. And, uh, and she is you know, just majestic. Mm. She, honestly, she's like a, a fish in water. And the other one, I'm going to give a special mention to Christy Kerr. Um, cr- there is no one you want to play less in a Solheim Cup she's than She's phenomenal, Kerr. isn't she? Yeah. She's yeah. brutal, mm. Um, mm. <laughs> both on, on and off the oh, course. No. She's, she, you know, she's actually quite a lovely person when you get to know her. Um, it's just hard to get to know her. <laughs> when she's got the star spangled, when she's got the red, blue and white on, she becomes... She becomes a competitive beast in that format. Yeah, definitely. Well, at the end of, I think it was the end of last year in Malaysia, um, I had a couple of players texting me because it looked like it was going to go to a playoff. And Christy was, she required birdie to win. And um, there was, I think, three or four players that were, you know, all in the tie at that point in time. And I had girls at home saying, hey, you know, is Jackie Conkolino going to be in the playoff? Should I come, should I come back to the course now? And so I'm like trying trying to say what's on the screen, but also I know that these girls would be, you know, mortified to miss it if their friend had their first win on tour. So, uh, you know, when I was taking a break, I was messaging them back saying, 
it's Christy Kerr. She's just hit it to 40 feet. And they're like, okay, all right. And I said, what do you, what chances do you give her of, of making it? And I said, anyone else, 5%, and that's generous. I give Christy 20%, and she made it. And she made it, yeah. 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 Incredible. Yep. Yeah. What about you? Uh, I just think of the people that used to ruin coverage when you, when you, <laughs> you know when you want to watch a tournament yeah, that's yeah, tight and yeah. someone's out in front and they're just not and gonna, they're not going back to the, the field no, they, i no. mean tiger did it for so yeah. long he's the obvious one but um i just think all those players in is an obvious one as well and lydia had a, a three-year period where she was just untouchable yeah yeah good call um can we give a little shout out anyone who's listening to um that has been listening to the show from the get-go may remember the name Jed Morgan, a uh, young guy out of Queensland yep. um, who we were talking to not only on one of the national shows, but we did a couple of chats with him on the Queensland regional show when we were doing the state-by-state um, versions back in the past. Well, he was awarded – or you get awarded or do you win? You, yep. get, a, you, no, get, you a, get awarded. You get awarded the Cameron Smith Scholarship yep. this week, which is a great thing that Cam Smith's doing. We spoke to him about that when we had him on last year, but – I. I don't know Jed Morgan other than the 15 or 20 minutes we've spoken to him on the show. I know you probably know him fairly well, Matty. He just seems like a cracking character. He is. And hopefully this is another one of those little platforms off which he can launch himself. Yeah, look, it's um, you spoke about it a couple of weeks back. It's $12,500, which Cam, uh, Cam selects a player that he wants to support. And Jed is a great uh, recipient. And it's not just your golf. It's everything else off the course. And, mm-hmm. and Jed uh, ticks all the boxes there. Great guy. Someone you want to see succeed. Um, seriously talented. I wouldn't be surprised if, if we're talking about Jed for many years to come. I mean, there's there's bunches of of guys and girls that we we talk about that, but Jed's just got that little something, and it's not an X factor. It's just that he's a competitor. Um, you see him up in the gym at the QAS, and he wants to be lifting the most. He's competitive. He loves just getting in and amongst it, and uh, yeah, a great recipient of this award. And there's another young guy who um, we've spoken a lot about, and I remember during an AO radio coverage of the Open up at uh, wasn't the late it was it was the Australian I reckon. We were standing on the first tee, and we we're having a big chat. You were probably part of it, I reckon. Clayton was certainly part of it. You weren't part of the family, I don't reckon. Then Al, not um, yet, I don't think. But we were talking about Minwoo Lee. Brett Coletta and yeah, Curtis, Curtis Luck, and who yep. you would rather have the game of, and there's been some good news, and that that convert will continue to watch those three for quite some time, hopefully. But some good news from a Brett Coletta perspective this week. Yeah, Brett went over to the fifth and final Canadian Tour school and uh, and got through. It's a it's a grueling five week period uh, where they have five separate tour schools just to drag it out. I think uh, the tour over there is the Mackenzie Tour, so it's the feeder to the web.com tour as is the latin america and the pga tour china so brett's got full playing rights up there which is really nice well that's great that's one of the you tick that box don't you as a young player who's you know sort of trying to work their way from the ranks of amateur into the world of professionals to get a job to get a job and find a home is that must be a very significant step once you can do that well just to schedule your year we we discuss it so much amongst players of what events they're going to do, why they do it, when they're going to take their breaks, how it how it changes when things at home or your health 
you know, comes into play. Mm. Like you can you can win or lose an event by how you schedule your year, in my opinion. It is that paramount. Absolutely. Um, that's it. We're done and dusted. We'll get to Stacey Peters next week. She's going to join us back in the studio, obviously, so we'll have a full wrap of the Queen Syracuse Cup um, and everything else that's taking place. The players, you want to just fifth major, does it deserve it? Please. Come on. Please. <laughs> it's a great um, tournament to watch. It is. It's fun to watch, but I mean, come but on. It's, uh, no, it's not got that much credibility, does it? Uh, it's got something, <laughs> but it's just completely overhyped. But it it's is, got as cred, you said. But it's yeah, not it's, in it's the fun to watch. Role. No, no, no. Um, good to see you. I'll see you next week. Or whenever, whenever I see you next time. When are you doing this next? Saturday. Never, never um, soon enough. Uh, Al, we'll see you soon. Absolutely. Looking forward to it, guys. Alison Whittaker, Matt Cutler joining us on Inside the Ropes. That's it for this week. Same time next week, folks. Enjoy your golf until then.